you're just joining us uh, this morning. We're in the middle of a series on the book of Acts. And this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, which if you happen to be using, or excuse me, chapter 3, if you happen to be using one of our pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 911. We're going to be reading the first 26 verses of Acts chapter 3. In this series, we've been looking at the power of God at work in the early church. We've been talking about this week in and week out from different angles, that God's mission is always both to us and through us. That God is on a mission of bringing salvation and healing and hope and rescue to us. And as amazing as that is, maybe even more amazing, He's then on a mission through us as well as He uses us, people who have been touched by God, to actually reach other people as well to bring the hope of the gospel to others. He could do it in many ways. But he's chosen this way to actually use his people to bring his life to others. So God's on a mission to us and through us. And we're going to see how that works out in in Acts chapter 3 this morning. Before we begin reading, uh, let's pray together as we come uh, to this text. Let's pray. Father, we pray and ask that you would open up your word to us and open our hearts to your word. We pray that you would speak to us by the power of your spirit. Lord, that these would be what you've created them to be, words of life and health for us. Pray that you would get in under our skin, get around our defenses, through our hard hearts, to bring life and encouragement and the hope of the gospel again. And we pray this expectantly in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 26. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. And seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And Leaping up, he stood and began to walk, and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him all the people saw him walking and praising God and they recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. And while he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's astounded. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one, and you asked for a murderer to be granted to you, and you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. 
Repent, therefore. Turn again that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Now, a week ago, we finished up looking at this first uh, great speech of Peter's in Acts chapter 2, the first time he has a chance to address the crowds in Jerusalem. And we're, we're in this passage immediately back into another sermon as well. We're getting sermons left, right, and center. And right before that, there's this incredible event that sets up his sermon. And we're just going to look at one simple thing this morning. That as we see God's um, kingdom work happening, as we see God bringing his mission of forgiveness and healing and hope, we see that that breaks into the ordinariness of people's lives in unexpected ways. Okay, breaks into the ordinariness of life in unexpected ways. And we're going to see that both for uh, this lame man and for the crowd. Those two, this man and this group of people that are addressed here. First, let's take a look at the story of the lame man. This is verses 1 through 10. Peter and John are, are coming to the temple at about 3 in the afternoon, around the time of the afternoon sacrifice to pray. They weren't alone. Um, every day this happened. Faithful Jews who lived in Jerusalem, unlike chapter 2, which we've been looking at where it was a, a festival time, and there were people from all over that had flooded in Jerusalem. This is, this is normal time. Okay, on a normal week, you would find people every afternoon coming to pray. Day by day by day. That's what Peter and John are doing. And as they're walking up, they would walk through a series of, of courts in the temple. And the first court that you would walk through is called the Court of the Gentiles. And if you were not an ethnic Jew or a full proselyte convert to Judaism, that was as far as you could go. Couldn't go any further into the temple. But then uh, Jewish men and women could pass beyond that to what was called the Court of the Women. And if you were a Jewish woman, that was as far as you could go into the center of the temple. And apparently, the archaeology, there's, there's different opinions on, on this, but seemingly what happened then, the next court you'd go into was called the court of Israel or the court of the men, and that's where faithful Jewish men could go. And this gate, the gate they called Beautiful, it was covered in this um, incredibly... Um, shining, resplendent bronze that would catch the sun and just glow. It's called the beautiful gate. And this gate is what stood between the court of the women and the, and the court of Israel, the court of men in between. So if you're a woman, you couldn't go any further. But also, if you were physically broken, if you were lame, as this man was, if you had any, um, if you were, um, if, if you had debilitating disease, then you could also not go any further, even if you were a Jewish man. And this goes back to Old Testament regulations that those who are crippled and broken can't go any further. They have to stop at this gate. And so this man, 
who's been lame from birth. And we read later in chapter 4 that he was about 40 years old. 40 years. Never being able to go past that gate. And for who knows how many years, day in and day out, he's been sitting at this gate, begging, asking for alms. Okay, this was a common part of um, Jewish culture that those who could not work, it was the duty of the people to give alms to them and to care for them. So every day, somebody brought this man, couldn't walk, laid him on the steps of this, in front of this gate that he might ask for alms. And you can imagine this guy, day after day after day, sitting there, looking through the gate to the place he could not go, looking down at the brokenness of his own body. This is far, as far as I am allowed to go. This is as far as I can participate in the worship of God's people. I'm a broken person. I'm not allowed to go any further. And so I have to sit here, and I can't work, so I have to ask for alms from people. If you've ever been in a situation, whether in the States or abroad, where there are people asking for alms um, in, the, in the midst of a crowd, as I've, I've seen it, you, you've noticed that oftentimes folks are, um, as they ask, they're barely looking because what are they seeing? They're just seeing crowds of people come by them. And that's what's happening to this man. Day after day, he, he asks and he asks and people walk by him and buy him and toss in coins. And he's doing that today, on this day, his old routine. Peter and John walk up, and he asks them for alms. Two more people in the crowd flooding past him. But then something different starts to happen. Because Peter and John stop, and they say, look at us. Not just look at the crowd, not just the glazed look, not just asking for alms. He says, look at us. And something starts to change for this man an interaction that he doesn't have every day. And he looks at them. Peter says to him, we don't have any silver or gold, but I'm going to give you what I do have. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up. Now you can read this whole chapter as we did in the matter of a couple of minutes, both the whole incident of this man's healing and then this whole sermon that that Peter gives, and you think, wouldn't it be great to have 90-second sermons? I mean, they did in Acts. Why can't we do it now, right? Uh, this narrative is incredibly compressed. Okay, you can imagine, as you imagine if this were a, a movie script and you're watching it, it would take much more time to see this play out. But this is an important place to pause, I think. Because they look down at him and say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. We don't have silver and gold. We do have something that we're going to give to you. Now, what is going on in this person's head, in this lame man as he looks up at these two strangers in the crowd who say this to him? Forty years crippled. Untold years sitting on this very step asking for money. And today of all days, two people look at him and ask this. What's he going to do? How's he going to respond Maybe it seems like it would be easy to respond. Fantastic. I, okay, I'll stand up. Forty years. It would have been just as easy to look at these two men and say, you must be nuts. Or here you are, just twisting the knife for me just a little bit. The lame guy on the steps. What's he going to do? How's he going to respond? 
What's his expectation at that point? Reading an, uh, an interview this week um, with a guy named um, Walter Brueggemann, who is an Old Testament scholar. And in the course of this interview with him, uh, he's talking back and forth with the interviewer, and, and, and Brueggemann says this. I just, it just caught my eye. He says, I think that's why people show up at church. They want to know if there is any other world available than the one that we can see, the one that we can hardly bear. That's why people go to church. They want to know if there's another world, one that's different than the one that the world keeps throwing at them, that's their daily experience in so many ways, the world they can hardly bear. Is this all there is, or is there something more than that? And it brings up a good question for us right now in this room. What are you expecting? Why, why are you here? Why did you get up and come to church this morning, as Brueggemann points out? For those of us that are following Jesus, what do you think is happening to us each day as we get up in the morning and step into our day? What are we expecting to happen? The routine of our lives, day after day after day, doing much the same thing. This man, 40 years on the step and asking alms with no hope and no life breaking in. What are we hoping for? What are we longing for? Why are we here this morning? Some of us are here out of habit. All right, we've been doing it's Sunday morning. We've been doing this all our lives. Some of us are here this morning because we have parents who don't give us an option. So we're here this morning. Some of us this morning, we might be encouraged and incredibly glad to be here among God's people in worshiping God. Some of us might be greatly conscious of and discouraged by the brokenness of our lives as we look around and see it in our daily life. Maybe you're here because you're curious. Maybe you're here because you're doubting and on the long slide off belief. But it could be that for all of us, somewhere in the back of our mind, we have this question too. Could it be? Is it just possible that there is some other world than the one I see in front of my eyes daily in which I can some days hardly bear? Is there more to it than that? Maybe that's the question that this man is wrestling through as two people appear out of the crowd and say something completely outrageous and unexpected to him. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. What's he going to do? Could it be true? Is it possible that I'm going to take this man's hand and stand up? Is it possible that I'm just going to be disappointed by this, like I've been disappointed by so many other things in my life up until now? Can I really trust this? Can I really trust him? Well, what happens? Well, he takes Peter's hand. Peter lifts him as God heals him, and his legs and his ankles are made strong, and he stands up and begins leaping and praising God. That moment of, am I, am I going to step into this? I've never stepped. Am I, could it be true? And he takes the arm, and it is. It's interesting, if you look over in verse 16, in the middle of Peter's speech, which we'll get to in a minute, Peter says, it's by faith in this name, by faith in Jesus' name, that this man has been made strong. The faith that is through Jesus has given this man this perfect health in the presence of you all. 
Somehow in that interaction, faith came alive in this man, became alive in this man. God raised him up and healed him. Forty years undone now, and for the very first time, he walks with Peter and with John through those gates into the temple. Everything is suddenly changed. Two lessons or two things that stand out about this man's life. The brokenness of his life could not keep God out. God's mission to him wins in spite of 40 years of brokenness and lameness. And the same is true for us. The brokenness of our lives can't keep God out either. The routine struggles of your life that you're stuck in the middle of, that I'm stuck in the middle of day after day after day, cannot keep God out. The 10 or 20 or 30 years of difficult marriage is not strong enough to keep them out. The ongoing physical struggles and pain, the chronic disease, the dim prognosis, the relational alienation like this man's, the religious alienation and failure like this man's are not strong enough. The brokenness of his life can't keep God out, and the brokenness of our lives can't keep God out. The second thing I think we see here is this routine struggle, this ongoing unbearable life of his. Not only could it not keep God out, but it actually became the basis for, for God's work through him. God meets him and works in him in this moment. But all those years and all that lameness and all that dishonor and all that constant struggle become the basis by which God actually works through him in the lives of others. Because what happens immediately after this? The story is not simply about the lame man. It's also about this crowd. He stands up. He's leaping. He's praising God. And he comes in the temple courts. And everybody looks and says, there's that guy from the gate. That 40-year-old guy that's been asking for alms there year in and year out. That guy that's never walked. That guy I've tossed a few coins to. There he is standing leaping and God, leaping and praising God. You get down to the bottom of verse 10. People watching this, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Verse 11, while he clung to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the portico called, called Solomon's, astounded. This doesn't happen every day in the middle of our ordinary lives. And it broke into this man's life. God's grace through Jesus broke into his life and changed his life and then became the vehicle of witness to the lives of everyone else in this crowd. Suddenly everybody's gathered and Peter stands up and he begins to speak to them. Okay, the gospel is spoken into this man, this layman. Let's also look at the story of the crowd. This is verses 11 through 26. Just a couple things about their story. These are the ones on the inside. They've made it into that final court they're allowed to go into in the temple. These are the faithful worshipers. But we get a couple glimpses of what their story is like. Because look at what Peter immediately begins to say. Verse 12. Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this, or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? Okay, that's an interesting response. Everybody's going... 
is, is astounded by this great healing they've seen. And their first question apparently is, how did these people become so powerful? How did they become so pious that they were able to do this? Do you, th- do you see the things that were so close to their heart? The thing, the explanation they first grasped for? Do these people have the power that I've always wanted to have? Here I am, a faithful Jew, coming for the afternoon prayers just like I do every day. How, how did they become more pious than I am? Is it their own holiness that did this? How can I become holy enough? How can I become powerful enough? These are the faithful, dedicated people who are trapped by their own faithfulness and dedication. Looking for power and piety. But Peter looks at them and says, it's not about that. It's about the power and work of Jesus. And he goes on and tells them again their story. He says, this is what all the prophets have said. That this day was coming. That this was going to happen. He says, remember when Moses said, there's going to be a prophet who comes after me. You must listen to him. Peter's saying, this has been our story. We've been waiting for this and it's happening now right in your very midst. But the irony for them, these greatly religious, faithful, dedicated people who knew this story, missed the fulfillment of the story. And he says, this is what, Peter, Peter gets up and says, this is one of the great ironies. You who have been waiting for life, you who have been so religiously pious, you've killed the author of life, the very one you're waiting for. He says that's not the end of the story. He says, but God raised him up. But you see, these people have an ordinary life that has to be spoken into by the gospel, just as this lame man did. He was on the outside looking in, not seeing past his own brokenness, and God spoke into that. But God graciously speaks to the people who are on the inside as well. The people who do have it all together. The people who are the faithful worshipers. The people who are the pious ones. But the people who have still missed Jesus when he came into their midst. In their following of God, somehow they missed God himself. But God doesn't give up on him and speaks to them. Even in the middle of this, Peter stands up and he says repent, turn. This promise that came in and changed this lame man is the same promise that's going to come in and change you and all your polished brokenness, just like it changed this man and all the brokenness of his lameness. And it's a challenge for them too. It's a risk for the man. Can I take this hand? Can I stand up? And it's a challenge for these people who are listening. Am I going to swallow this hard pill? All the piety that I've been pursuing all my faithful almsgiving, all my faithful prayers, all the ways I'm trying to polish my religious merit badges. Here's Peter standing up and saying that it is all for naught. But instead he's offering me Jesus. Jesus is righteousness. Jesus is death and resurrection. Jesus is healing for me. Will we take it? For the man it might have felt like a risk. Can I trust it? For, the, for these people... It was a challenge. Will you lay down the other things you're pursuing and follow Jesus instead? We find out in the next chapter that thousands of people actually do believe and actually do respond. Just briefly, I think, just as there were two lessons or two things we see in the life of this lame man, we see two things in the lives of the people in this crowd as well. 
And we see that the routine security and complacency of their good religious lives couldn't keep God out. And we see that God's mission then through them wasn't hindered by their good religious piety and complacency either. Because just as this lame man's story came alive for them, the lives of these previously pious, previously dedicated, but spiritually dead people becomes alive for us as well. Because the mission of God through them comes to us. This invitation is for us as well. Whether you read this story and you identify most with this lame man who looks around and sees only brokenness in his life, can, could God, could he possibly speak to me here? Could he possibly break in here? Could the love and power of Jesus possibly reach this deep? Whether you see that in yourself or whether you look around and just see years and years maybe of cold piety or a heart that's growing numb, could God speak into that today as well? Well, the lesson we learn from these crowds is that it can for us too. Whether we're the layman or the crowd, there is hope for people like these. And there is hope for people like us. It's been a good reminder for me this week. There's hope for people like me. That the gospel comes into the middle of the dailiness of our real and regular and sometimes even unbearable lives and brings life and healing and hope as we come to life in Jesus. As we go through the book of Acts, we see the power of that message spreading through Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world, even right here to Williamsburg. Let's pray together. Father, 2,000 years ago, through the words of Peter and John, you took the brokenness of 40 years of pain and alienation and you made it well in an instant. And you healed this man and you brought him to faith and you sent him into the temple running and leaping and praising God. And in the very next moment, you spoke into the lives of people who were polished and pious but dead on the inside and you brought them to life as well. And God, we know that you have not given up or finished your work, but you are at work still. Would that be so for us in our own lives, even right now, wherever we are in this story? And may we see that true in the lives of our friends and our neighbors and in this city. May the gospel go forward in power and bring real and lasting deep change. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.